You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. Good morning, New City. Uh, my name is Noel Garan. I lead our next city village for students uh, second grade to college all the way up through high school. Um, and I'm going to be reading our scripture this morning. It is wrapping up the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through the end, through 14. I'll give you a minute to turn there if you would like. If you're using the, the Pew Bible, the Black Bible, it's page 559. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you all hear me? Am I on? Okay, great. Excellent. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We made it to the end, you guys. We did it. We made it through Ecclesiastes. Solomon here, even in his his parting words, he hasn't quite gotten a hug yet, right? We've been wishing it for him the whole time. Um, This book is very honest. Um, Sometimes the Bible stands, uh, you'll hear an accusation of the Christian faith or of, of the words of God that they're, they're not honest. They don't actually explain how life works. And I would say one, I think that's just not true in general, but specifically here in the book of Ecclesiastes, it is far from true in the, in the words of this book, this book, um, I can say without any drama in my voice has changed my life, y'all. It's changed my life. Um, I hope it's been the same for you. A couple of the main lessons of this book that have been so impactful for me. Number one, um, life will be hard. Accept this, right? Um, it's go- it's going to be hard, right? We can either kick and scream our way through a hard life or we can embrace that life will be difficult. Um, And number two, one of the things that Solomon talks about over and over in this book um, is living under the sun. And just to jog your memory, what that means um, is it is life without an eternal perspective. It's life to say that this is all there is. There's nothing beyond. There's no um, purpose beyond the happenings of the here and now. And Solomon is stuck under the sun and it's causing him to look at life with a bleakness. It's why he is a non-example to us much of the time in this book. 
And that was the lesson that I think God helped me to realize through this book is that I live under the sun far too often. Like the reason, I'm just going to level with you guys, the reason I struggle with with self-pity, the reason I struggle with the fear of man is because I'm stuck under the sun because I fail to see purpose beyond the immediate circumstances. And so um, all of this book, remember, it's, it's all, all of scripture is pointing us forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ, who because of his work on the cross, if you are in Christ, it means there is eternality woven into everything that you experience and do. That's really good news. Um, I, I have this book on my shelf in, in the office that's called Every Moment Holy, and it's just a book of prayers for the random events of life. And one of my favorite ones is um, a prayer for the changing of diapers. It's a good one. It's a good one. And the next prayer in the book is another prayer for the changing of diapers because there are many diapers to be changed, right? And this is part of what it means to have an eternal perspective. What we'll even see in today's text, that every moment matters in the economy of God. It matters, okay? And so here at the end, I'm, I'm asking you to reflect similarly on the book. What has God been teaching you over the course of the book of Ecclesiastes? Write it down. Write it down. The book of James talks about how foolish it would be of us to hear what is true and good and then walk away and not respond to it. Um, he, he compares it to, it's like if you were to look in the mirror at your face and immediately walk away and forget what you look like. It'd be silly, wouldn't it? Similarly, with the truth of this book, I want to encourage you to hear it, respond to it, obey it. Here at the end, the end of the matter, he says, these important words, he's boiling everything that's been said in this book down to the final chapter. And here, here's what we're going to do. We are going to see the three most important questions of Ecclesiastes. And so if this is your first week in the book, you're going to kind of see the overarching thread, or if you've been trucking along every single week, you're going to see the three most important questions that Solomon answers here in his closing arguments. And here's the first question. What does this book teach us? What does Ecclesiastes teach us? How can we know how to respond to it unless we're hearing it rightly? One of the things that I had a seminary professor, he would always say to us, he'd say, make sure you hear the Bible on its terms right? Hear what it's actually saying before you respond to it, right? If we, if we just try to read a 21st century perspective into an ancient book, we're going to miss the point. Um, so we have to read the Bible on its terms, and that's what we're trying to do here. So look back at with me at verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity, Stop there for just a moment. If you were to flip back right now to the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what the opening words are? These words, right? He's taking us back to the very beginning. Even though we're going back to the beginning, we're not the same people. 
Like the book has shaped us and changed us. But again, he's coming back to this argument where some translations say vanity of vanities. Like here, others say uh, meaningless is life. All of life is meaningless. Isn't that encouraging stuff, guys? Isn't that encouraging stuff? What is Solomon saying right here? Remember in the original Hebrew, that word translated vanity or meaningless. It's the word hevel, which essentially means this. Um, life is a paradox. It's hard to grab onto. Um, it's hard to make sense of. In fact, the word hevel comes with it the image of smoke. Um, if you were to, uh, you probably sat around a bonfire in the last couple of weeks and they, they say smoke follows beauty, right? Congratulations to some of you. Um, that when you see the smoke rise up, it's real. It's actually happening. It's actually there. It can be admired. It can be beautiful. Don't you love leaving a bonfire and the smell just like soaked into every fiber of your being? Is that just me? Okay. The smoke is real. It exists. It matters. But what happens when you try to grab onto smoke? It just slips through your fingers. It's gone. And Solomon, frustrated by life under the sun, he, he looks at his life and he goes, why can't I just get a grip on this? Why can't I control it? How many of you learned this week in some way or another that you can't control your life, right? Right? The rest of us are liars, okay? All of us, we experience this, don't we? You cannot control your life. See, that's principally what Solomon teaches us over and over and over. And what he's frustrated by over and over and over in these words is that life is impossible to control. There is not a one of us whose life cannot be changed forever by a single phone call. Right? There's not one of us as well as we invest or steward our money who there's not a chance of losing everything. You can be safe. You can follow all the rules. 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 You a larger story of redemption that all of Scripture is telling. The reason this feels wrong, look right at me, is because it is. Because this is not the way the world was designed by a holy, intentional, and loving God. So how did we get here? That's the second chapter in the story, this grand story that God is telling. Sin entered the economy. What did that mean? It means that humanity rejected God as authority. They rejected the kingship of God. And when that happened, everything broke under the sun got separated from above the sun. Goodness and beauty and glory where God resides was ripped in a sense out of the created order. You and I are still created in the image of God in that what in this world that's broken by sin, but hear me, it's been marred. It's been broken, it's been tarnished, both by sins that we actively have committed and sins against us. This broken world 
It's falling apart. We experience it all the time and we can't get a grip on it. And Solomon's initial conclusion based on this unavoidable fact that you can't control life was to believe that it was pointless. If I can't control it, what's the point? Have you ever felt that? I mean, why, why not just take my ball and go home if I can't guarantee a W? That's how Solomon comes into this book. But here's how he's finishing as he wades through all of the difficulty, even the emotions of this broken world under the sun, he begins to realize something important. He goes, wait a second. I remember. If there's a below the sun, there must be an above the sun. There has to be. It only makes sense. Look at verses 13 and 14 in our text today. The end of the matter All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, whether with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, Solomon is recognizing that the only way to experience the world above the sun is to again recognize the authority of God as king. You see that? The whole duty of man is to fear God. This is a reverential fear, a belief that this is his world, that he knows best, and keep his commandments. You see, Solomon is realizing something in these verses that we need to realize, that if you try to leave God out of his universe, it is pointless. But if you acknowledge God, if you bow your knee to his kingship, if you walk with him, if you work with him, life has unbelievable meaning, unbelievable texture. It has an eternality of glory. So many of us, in fact, I would dare say all of us at one point or another have struggled with, what's the point of my life? What should I do? Should I take this job or that job? Should I do this thing or that thing? All of us, right, have wrestled with this at one point or another, and rightly so, right? It's important to start with the end in mind. Solomon realizes it right here, and you and I should realize it too. The purpose of life is to walk with God in reverential obedience. Reverential, that might be a $5 word for some of us, right? It just means acknowledging Him, right? To be in reverence is to say like, okay, this, you're, you're the boss here. You're in charge, like, goodness, like if you've struggled with your purpose, you need to write it down, y'all. This is, this is it. And I'm telling you, that sentence is way more joyful than it may sound at face value. Reverential obedience? Man, does that sound, that doesn't sound like any fun. I was hoping the purpose was like water parks or something. Reverential obedience before God is a wonderful thing. 
You see Tim Keller, when he come, I love this, when he comments on the gospel account in Mark, he talks about the miracles of Jesus. And he says two things that stick out to me that feel important right here. Number one, he says, when Jesus performs miracles in the gospels, he is not upending the natural order. He's actually restoring it. He's taking what's broken and making it right. The other thing that he says when it gets to the portion where he talks about the cross and the resurrection and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus, he says, um, the, the resurrection is proof of two things. One, that God is actually king, that he actually does have the authority to tell you this is good and that's not good. But here's the other thing. It is a promise of what he's going to do with his authority. Like if someone has authority, but they're a tyrant or they're dangerous or they're wicked, right? We should be nervous. But if the eternal God has all authority and is supremely good in his judgments, we don't need to be afraid. We need to be eager to get behind what he's doing in the world. See, in this journey of trying to figure out what should we do, what should we do, what should we do, where should we go, should I take this job or that job, we tend to think that the what is what matters the most, but it's really the who. We tend to think it's, do, do I become a surgeon or do I become an NBA basketball player? Now, to be fair, if you're, if you're five foot two and you have no previous athletic experience, I hate to be the one to break this to you now, but the NBA route, it's probably not yours, okay? I'm sorry to kill your dream in church on Sunday morning, but there it is, right? We obsess over, do I take this job or that job? Do I go this way or that way? And while those questions are of some importance, we tend to treat them as if they are of ultimate importance, And here's what the scriptures are teaching us today, that the whole duty of man is whether you become a surgeon or a lumberjack to walk with God, to fear him and to keep his commandments. You can have a meaningful, rich, beautiful life if you take this career choice or that career choice. How? If you fear God and keep his commandments. If you walk with him, if you acknowledge him as king, can I invite you this morning to believe what Ecclesiastes teaches us? To believe that you cannot control your life. And because of that, your response should not be to throw your hands up and take your hands off the wheel, but it should be to put your hands on the wheel and do something. (laughs) Should I do this or should I do that? The stuff, believe it or not, is mostly irrelevant. Who you do it with is the important thing. Do you do this with God? See, Paul, in the book of Philippians, I think he understood this. He believed the argument made in the book of Ecclesiastes when he says this. Philippians 4, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
In, every and every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. You see, whatever God brings into your life, whatever job, whatever circumstance, whatever difficulty, you're able to endure it by walking with God, fearing him and keeping his commandments. By having Jesus in that place. And here's the good news, friends. Because of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have the guarantee that he is with you. That he's with you. This is what Ecclesiastes is teaching us. That's the first question Solomon answers right here. Here's the second inevitable and important question. Why should we listen Okay, Solomon says it. Who's Solomon? Big deal. The text tells us in verses 9 through 12 why we should listen to these words. And I'm going to, there are six reasons right here, okay? And number six is the most important. It's the most important. So we're building to the most important. But look at verse 9. It says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging. Okay, here's the first reason we should listen to Solomon. This book is logical. This isn't the only reason. It's not the most important reason, but listen, it makes sense. Like if you look at his estimation of life right here, if you're honest, it's true. The frustrations, the angst, if you were to go back and read this, he logically brings us to the conclusion that if, if all there is is under the sun, this is a pretty hopeless situation. It's logical. Number two, look at verse 10. It says, the preacher sought to find words of delight. Words of delight. This book is not only logical, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. See, that's the thing I love about Jesus, maybe more than anything, is not only is he true and authoritative and, and glorious, but he does it with style. The Lord Jesus Christ is the most beautiful being in the universe. And these words given to Solomon to pin down in Holy Scripture reflect his character. The beauty of the way this book is constructed and built, the beauty of the words, right? They point like a billboard to a higher reality, to a beautiful God. Think of Ecclesiastes 3 that we read weeks and weeks back. For everything there is a season, turn, 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 right? Why do the birds turn this into an anthem? It's because they're beautiful words. These are words of beauty, The second half of verse 10 tells us, uprightly, he wrote words of truth. This is the third reason you should listen to this argument, because it's intellectually honest. Right? Remember the charge against the scripture sometimes, like, man, that's not how life actually works. This isn't honest. Solomon is very honest and rigorous. He doesn't let God off the hook. In his words, he talks very honestly about where is God in a world broken by sin. It's intellectually honest. 
which means it's a trustworthy argument. It's sound. It's been evaluated. Verse number 11, it says, the words of the wise are like goads. You know what a goad is? A goad is a long, sharp stick. And it's not sharp enough to wound an animal, but it's sharp enough to make an animal very uncomfortable. Okay, so a shepherd might use a goad with a sheep. He might have the end of his shepherd's staff um, sort of sharpened to a dull point so that when a sheep isn't moving, that he can give the sheep a little prod and on it goes. And Solomon is telling us here in this sort of ending of his book that these words are meant to be like goads to us. If you have experienced no discomfort in the words of Solomon through this book, can I volunteer you might not have been listening. These words challenge us. They push us. But here's the thing about a goad. A goad isn't to goad you off a cliff. Where is a shepherd leading his sheep? A good shepherd. Greener pastures, right? God will offend you to heal you. And some of us in the room, and I'm, goodness, I'm guilty too, have been offended by the teachings of Scripture. And instead of acknowledging God's authority, have recoiled from His authority. And can I just compel you this morning? Can I plead with you? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't respond to the goad in that way. Respond to it. See, this is why we should believe it. It challenges predominant thinking. Right? Dory says, just keep swimming. Right? There's some goodness to that advice. But I'm thinking in the cultural stream, if you just keep swimming, where are we going? That's a very important question to ask. You might need to swim a different direction. And by responding to these words in Holy Scripture, I can almost guarantee that you're going to be swimming a lot of the time a different direction. The second half of verse 11 says that these words are not only like goads, but that they're also like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. What's Solomon saying here? You can hang your hat on this book, man. You can hang your life on this book. The re like a nail in a wall that's holding a picture frame up. You can trust it. It organizes life. Here's, here's what I mean. In my pantry at home, um, I have a mop, okay? It's called a Swiffer wet jet. Anybody have Swiffer? We need to get royalties from Swiffer because I just mentioned that, right? But um, I have this Swiffer wet jet. And for some reason, for the multiple years I've lived at my house, I have always avoided putting a command hook or a nail on the wall to hang that thing up. And so every time I go to use it, one, there's a gross wet spot on my floor. Two, the mop is gross and wet. And now I just wipe grossness and wetness all over the rest of the floor. If I just got a nail... Siri, remind me to get a nail this week. That's what I keep thinking. If I just get a nail and hang the mop up, you know what's going to happen? My pantry's going to stay in order. The mop's going to dry. It's going to serve its function properly. And Solomon is saying to us, if you hang your life on the teaching of these books, it will organize, it will clarify, it will make life work the way that it was meant to work. 
That's what these words are like. But of all those reasons, he finishes with the one, the one argument that I believe is the most important argument that you can ever respond to. It is the argument that will shape the trajectory of the rest of your life from this moment on. In verse 11, the third part, it says, these sayings, they are given by one shepherd. Now listen, in your translation, there's a reason shepherd is capitalized in the text right here, okay? It's talking about God. The reason you should listen to the argument that life is uncontrollable and that its real purpose is to walk with God in reverent obedience, the reason you should believe that and respond is because these words come from God. They're the very words of his heart. And that means two things that are very important for us. Number one, it means that these words are good Think of David in the Psalms. He talks about the words of God as honey to his lips. Sweet, reviving the soul. 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the words of Scripture, the very words of God as useful, as profitable, as good. These words are good for living. Why? Because they come from God's heart. But here's the second thing that it, the second thing we realize when we recognize that these words come from God. It means these words are authoritative. It means that to receive them and obey them is to acknowledge God as king once again. We have a very complicated relationship with authority in our culture. And there are lots of reasons for that, right? Some, some legitimate, we've seen authority used very poorly. We've seen it go bad in churches and politics and so on and so forth. Any place there is authority, we have seen it misused. But another reason that we have such a hard time with authority in our culture is because we don't like being told what to do. And not liking being told what to do is no excuse when you stand before the holy God of the universe. He is in charge. Will you acknowledge this? It would be like floating in the ocean waiting for rescue and a life raft pulls up. And you go, a life raft? I was really hoping for a yacht. I mean, I wanted to get a shower after that. I got salt water on my, these are my good clothes. I wanted to, wouldn't that be silly <laughs> to respond to the rescuing good leadership of someone to send you a life raft and complain about what it was? Y'all, when we read the words of God, do we treat it the same way? Do we look at these words without go, like, well, it's not exactly what I wanted to say. Yeah, that's why somebody else said it, right? God said these things, and we should respond to his authority. The, the calling of this, hear me, is life or death. Respond to his authority or drown. 
Those are the options. And here's the beauty and glory of the gospel. As we close out this book of Ecclesiastes, that shepherd right there that Solomon recognizes inspired these words. That shepherd has a name. That shepherd put on flesh and blood to rescue you from your sin. That shepherd laid down his perfect life, was willingly executed and murdered in the shadiest way to cover, to atone for every single place that you have failed to acknowledge the authority of God. And when you are covered with the blood of Christ, the scriptures say that you have his righteousness. It means that you are now right with God. And when you are right with God, you know how that changes the way you show up to your life? We're able to read the words of our friend Solomon and go like, yeah, if it wasn't for Jesus, everything under the sun would be meaningless. But because Jesus is here, that means I get to go into the job that I hate this week and live for his glory. Because Jesus is here, it means I get to go into that hospital room with no guarantees, with hope, with soberness, and with the very compassion of God, the person laying in that bed. It means the phone call comes and the news from the doctor is the worst case scenario. And it means you prepare for death with dignity and hope. It changes everything. Friends, in Jesus Christ, every moment matters. And of all the things Ecclesiastes can say to us this morning, I think that is the weightiest one. And it leads to the third question, the third most important question of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a simple one. Will you believe this? Will you live under God's authority? Will you acknowledge the true purpose of your life and there find it? Last thing, you see Jesus, he, he says these strange words when he says, whoever tries to find their life will lose it but whoever lays down their life for my sake will find it, will keep it. If you are weary of life and you need a life and a purpose that's going to last forever, can I call you to come to the Lord Jesus this morning and find rest for your souls? Thank you, God, for Ecclesiastes. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We want to acknowledge your authority today. In this church, you are in charge. In our lives, you are in charge. Whatever's keeping us from believing this, from walking in it today, I pray right now that you would break down the barriers and bring us into right and whole and holy relationship with your son, Jesus. We pray it in his name today. Amen. Well, friends, we want to do what James, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, compels us to do, to hear the word and actually respond to it. And so this morning, first and foremost, I want you to reflect. What has God been teaching you over the course of this book? What has he been speaking through his word this morning? And how might he be calling you to respond? 
I'm going to be in the back of the room during the worship set. If you need to talk, if you need to process through what you're hearing and thinking, um, I would love to chat with you. Number two, we remember. We remember the costliness of the cross as we take the Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to come and take this family meal today. And this little little thing of grape juice and a wafer, it's representative of a real body broken and real blood shed to forgive your sins, to cleanse you of unrighteousness. And so this morning, I want you to come to the table thanking Jesus for filling every moment of your life with meaning. And number three, finally, we rehearse. We rehearse the day that what Solomon grieved of being stuck under the sun will be a memory of distant past, that Jesus will make everything right. And so we're going to sing with joy and hope this morning that that day's coming. New City, I love you. I love being your pastor. Respond when you're ready.